Thank you. It is nice to be back. Uh, in no church I worshipped on my vacation did the executive pastor ever say, well, our church is better than your church, so you should stay. I mean, I, you, you don't realize what you miss until it's gone, right? So uh, also, if you think Atlanta is bad in August in the heat, wow, go hang out in central Florida. Like, surface of the sun, Orlando. I, I'm not sure which is which, but th- those were brutal, brutal days. Uh, this, uh, oh, Atlanta in July. I will not complain ever again. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Uh, as you may know, if you followed our church or hung out for, for a while, we follow the academic calendar. So everything cranks back up for us when the schools crank back up in August. But for the next few weeks, until we get there, we're going to do this little series I'm calling the fine print of discipleship. Uh, you know, if you go to Lisa Carr, the guy's going to present it to you very simply, right? You pay us $300 a month for three years, and you drive the car for three years. That, that, that's what the deal is. But when you go to sign the contract, of course, it's 27 pages long because you got to have the details, you got, what happens if I get in a wreck? Who pays for gas? What happens if I have a flat tire? It's not my car. Can I let somebody else drive it? Like, there's all of these details that are going to get spelled out in that contract. We're going to talk for the next few weeks about some of the details of discipleship. We talk a lot in this church. You hear it every week. Be disciples, make disciples. Be followers of Christ and help others become followers of Christ. What, what is that going to look like? What, what's some of the fine print? What are some of the details of that? So we're going to read one of Jesus' teachings on discipleship. It's probably called in your, uh, your Bible something like the parable of the sower. It's Luke 8. I'm going to start in verse 4, and I'm going to read down through verse 15. So follow along with me, starting in Luke chapter 8, verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So Luke tells us right from the bat that Jesus is telling a parable. Now, a parable is a particular kind of literature. You you need to understand when you're talking to someone, you got to understand how they're talking back to you. If I come to you, if you come to me and you say, "Oh, Jeff, I got a problem with my boss," right? And you outline this problem and I say to you, "Let me tell you a story. Once upon a time there was a prince 
And a prince had the issue. Right? You understand that I'm telling you a fairy tale. Once upon a time, when the prince goes out and fights the ogre and chops off the ogre's head, I am not telling you to go chop your boss's head off. It's a fairy tale. You're supposed to get some principles. But if you come to me and say the exact same thing and I say to you, okay, this is what you need to do. Step one. Step two. Step three. Then you understand I am speaking literally. This is exactly what I mean you to do, for you to do. You have to understand the type of story that someone's telling. We don't have parables in our world. that They don't exist. They're a mixture of two things we do have. Fables and jokes. So a fable, you've probably heard of Aesop's fables. Fables are stories, usually fictional stories, that make a point. They tell a story, but they're making a point. So the boy who cried wolf, you know the fable, the boy who cried wolf, probably. Kid's a shepherd, he's out, he's bored to tears, he decides to spice things up, he yells, wolf, wolf, and all the other shepherds come running, right? Because man, if there's a wolf, that, they will decimate your flocks. All the other shepherds come running. Oh, I thought I saw something in the woods, right? All the other shepherds go back. He waits a little bit. He's bored again. Wolf, wolf. All the other shepherds come running. This is awesome. The kid says one word and everyone jumps and does what he wants. He's not bored anymore. And you know the story. He does that a whole bunch of times until later that afternoon, a wolf actually shows up. He cries out, wolf, wolf, no one comes. Because of course they don't believe him anymore. And the wolf decimates his flock. Now notice, the fable doesn't give you the moral. That's on you as the listener. You have to figure out what's the moral of the boy who cried wolf. What's the point of the story? It's not to encourage you to be shepherds. It's not to tell you that you should go buy some sheep. Are sheep legal in Dunwoody and Sandy Springs? Like it's, that's not the issue. It's telling you if, you if you get into a habit of lying and people know you're a liar, they won't believe you even when you tell the truth. It's a fable with a point. It's a story that communicates a truth, but it's on you as the listener to figure out the truth. That's part of what a parable is. It's a story with a point, and it doesn't tell you what the point is. You've got to figure that out. But it's also like a joke, because there's something in it that doesn't work. So we're going to do a knock-knock joke to illustrate this, okay? So you know how, the, how this is supposed to go. I'll start. You play your part. Ready? Knock-knock. Yeah. Impatient cow. Moo! <laughs> Why is that funny? Okay, if you have to explain a joke, you've ruined it. I totally get that, but we have to explain it, right? Why is that funny? Because you know the pattern of what a knock-knock joke is supposed to be, right? You understand that the last person to speak, that's going to be the punchline, but it's supposed to come after you said it. It's funny because I'm an impatient, right, meaning I'll jump the gun on something, why do I say moo? I'm a cow. Like, we can analyze the whole thing and be like, yeah, yeah, okay. But do you see how much implicit knowledge you had that made that funny? If you were not a native speaker of English, that might not have been funny. Because impatient and cow are not words that go together in English. That would have taken you a while. Like, you know you really understand the language when you start to get the jokes. When you start to get the puns. That's when things become interesting. There's so much implicit knowledge in a joke. You can imagine two scholars somewhere talking about that knock-knock joke and saying, oh, see, this clearly is evidence that Americans interrupt each other all the time. You ever watch two Americans talk? They interrupt each other constantly. Watch this man here as he talks to these people about a cow with a particular condition. Right? You'll miss it. 
That happens to us all the time with parables. We miss it. You can't understand the point of what Jesus is saying unless you get the joke. Because it's a story with a point, but the point revolves around what's wrong in the story. What's wrong with this story? A farmer went out to sow seed. Okay, so let's tell this modern. I need some gardening advice, guys. Lots of you have told me about how you plant tomatoes, and they grow so well in this clay Georgia soil and all. I planted tomatoes this past weekend. Not a single seed that I put on the driveway grew. In fact, the chipmunks ate them. I mean, a couple of them fell in the little cracks, but they didn't, well, they got about that tall and that was, I, 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 you're all liars. Tomatoes do not grow in Georgia. What's wrong? Me. <laughs> was there anything wrong with the tomato plants, the seeds? No. Is there anything wrong with the driveway? Is the driveway not doing what it's supposed to do? No. What's wrong is me. We all know you don't plant seeds on driveways. You don't plant seeds in the little tiny spaces between the cement on your driveway. Nothing will grow there. You don't plant seeds in your kid's sandbox. Nothing will grow there. You don't plant seeds in the swimming pool. They won't grow. We all know that. Jesus tells the story about a farmer. These guys are subsistence-level farmers. If the crops don't come in, they starve. When Elizabeth and I went to Africa, we had to do a, a training camp there. One of the months of our camp was we lived with a family in a village, and we were there at one of their planting seasons. So we helped them plant corn, right? And they go through, and they do all the work, and you put two corn kernels in each hole. You take a stick, you make a hole, you put two kernels in, not one, not three, two. Because oftentimes one of them doesn't grow. But between two of them, generally, one of them will spring up. And if they get two of them, they just pinch one of them off. Nobody tosses seed among the rocks and the thorns and the paths. That's, that's the part where the people walk. It's this. It's the aisle, right? Nobody plants there. If things don't grow, they will starve. The, the corn we planted in Africa was food they didn't eat the year before. It was kernels of corn that they didn't eat. They took and they hung up and they dried you can't eat it if you need it for seed the next year. You've got to make that decision every year. And this guy is just out there tossing seeds everywhere. What's wrong with this story? This guy's called a farmer. He is not a farmer. He, he, he's not doing anything we would recognize as farming. I went to plant tomatoes, and, and none of the seeds on the driveway grew. Oh, it's completely wrong. Right? What, what, is, what is wrong with that? Do you see why when the disciples get with Jesus, the first words out of their mouth are, what are you talking about? Like we call it the parable of the sower, but we're missing an adjective. It's the parable of the idiot sower, the moron sower, the really bad sower, the man who should not be in business sowing anything because he is wasting most of his seed, and that's food, He's not, not, not planting flowers. This is food. It's a crop. This is what they're going to eat. The disciples go to Jesus like, what does that mean? Because it doesn't make any sense. No one would do that. And notice what Jesus says to them. The very first thing he says to them is, okay, I'll explain it to you guys. Because right? again, parables, you don't normally, they don't tell you the point. That, that's on you. 
I'll explain it to you guys, but to everybody else, I'm going to tell them in parables. So seeing, they may not see, though. Hearing, they may not understand. They, I think they've just said to Jesus, wow, you just confused the heck out of everybody. And Jesus says back to them, yep, you got to work for it. I'm not just handing it out there. Which is more effective? To say to your son, son, you know, if you get a reputation as a liar, nobody's going to believe you even when you tell the truth. Or to tell him the story of the boy who cried wolf. What's he going to remember? Stories are great ways to teach. Not telling someone what you're telling them is a great way to teach them. Jesus does that all the time. He tells his disciples, okay, I'll explain this to you. But I'm not making a habit of this because you got to work for it. If you want to understand, you've got to work for it. You've got to think about it. Otherwise, you see it, you know, and then it's gone. We've all done that, right? We've looked at something, like, oh, I, uh, yeah, okay, I know that. And then I go to write down, I can't remember. I remember the first word, and that's it. And I go back, and I read the sentence again, and I go to write down, and I can't even remember the next word. And you see it, but you don't see it. You hear it, but you don't understand. Jesus says, you've got to work to get these. And then he explains to him. Notice he still doesn't give him the point. But he gives them more information. He does not talk about the farmer. That's what's wrong in this story. What's up with this farmer? Who would ever waste food like that? He doesn't say a word about the farmer. He says one sentence about the seed. The seed's the word of God. The entire rest of the explanation is about the ground. All the different kinds of ground. So what's the point? In our world, whose responsibility is it to prepare the ground? It's the farmers. In the physical world, if you are going to grow something, it is on you to prepare the soil. I mean, think about planting tomatoes, right? How much time does it actually take to plant the seed? What, 10 seconds? Dig the hole, put the seed in, cover it up, you're done. My wife, a couple weeks ago, we got a bare patch in our backyard, probably about six by six, and she decided to resod it. Okay? I think, I watched her, I think the actual planting, seeding of the sod takes about 30 seconds. If they're one foot squares, you've got to pick it up, you've got to put it down where you want it, put it into place, you're done. 30 seconds. She had 36 of these, 30 seconds each, 18 minutes. We'll say she got tired in the middle, 20 minutes, right? 20 minutes to reseed a, to, to resod a six by six place in our backyard. No, two days. Two full days. Why? Because putting the sod in is the last thing you do. She had to till up all the ground. She had to prepare. She had to water it. She had to put in fertilizer. She had to come back the next day and do other things. Two full days, of which 20 minutes was the actual laying of the sod. In our world, the responsibility for preparing the soil to receive the seed so the seed grows, that's on the farmer. But in the spiritual world, Jesus says, the responsibility to prepare the ground belongs to the ground. The farmer isn't preparing it. He's just chucking out the seed. It's on the seed. Excuse me, it's on the ground. Whether the ground receives the seed or not. Wow, folks, that's significant. Like if you haven't been listening before, listen to this part, because this is the part you're going to be held accountable for, I think, one day. Your growth, if you are a follower of Christ, if you're a disciple, 
your growth, you have got to participate in that. You have got to be a part of that. Some of that is on you. Now, the Lord has made promises that he will conform us to Jesus' image. I am not saying God tosses us out there and then you're just on your own. God doesn't save us and say, okay, I'll see you at the end of time. He is absolutely at work with us. His spirit is at work with us. He wants us to grow. But you must be involved. That is on you. What kind of ground you are, what kind of soil you are, that's on you. You don't have to make the seed grow. The seed grows on its own. Farmers don't make seeds grow. When my wife planted that sod, she didn't make the grass take hold and get root and grow. We can't do that. You don't have to worry about that. God will do that. But you have to be good soil. Your growth, you must be an active participant in. It is not just going to happen. God isn't just going to come along and say, oh, it's Tuesday. Here, I'll make you more mature. Bing. Oh, here, today ends in a Y. Let's become a more loving person. Bing. It's not going to happen. The responsibility to prepare the ground, that's on the ground. It's not on the farmer. It's not on the pastor. It's not my job to make sure that the word of God grows in you. It's my job to chuck it out there. And it it falls wherever it falls. When you are making disciples, it is not your job to get anybody to believe it. It's your job to put it out there. It's your responsibility What does Jesus say at the end? They hear the word, they retain the word, they persevere. That's your job. It is not your job to save yourself. God has already done that. It is not your job to bring, put everything under the feet of Christ. God will do that. It is not your job to bring good out of everything. God will do that. It is your job to hear, to hang on, and to persevere. So why don't we grow? When, When we are disciples, why do we stall out in our discipleship? Jesus says three reasons. First one is, you have an enemy, the devil. The devil comes and takes the word away. He doesn't want you to hear it. There is a spiritual being who does not want you to grow. You know, there's all those conspiracy theories out there. You know, big tech doesn't want you to know this, and the government doesn't want you to know this, and big pharma doesn't want you to know this. Have no idea about the truth or not of any of those. But this one is true. There is a spiritual being that does not want you to grow. And wow, listen to what he said. He takes it away that they may not believe and be saved. If you're not a Christian, I mean, I assume most of you are here because you're Christians, but I'm sure some of you aren't. You know, you got dragged here, you're checking it out. Cool, thanks for coming, I'm glad you're here. If you're not a Christian, I assume that's because you don't believe it. Right, if I asked you, right, why aren't you a Christian, you'd say, well, I, I don't believe Jesus died and rose again. I don't think Jesus is really God, right? I don't think we really need to do this. I mean, I get, I think everyone would admit we're not perfect, but at the same time, I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think God's gonna judge us, right? There's something you don't believe. According to Jesus, it may not be you who don't believe it. (laughs) It may be that there's an evil spiritual being, a malevolent force that just constantly turns your attention away from those things. That every time you would ponder some of that, he distracts you. He puts it away. He turns it. If you're not a Christian, that should interest you. Why don't you believe this? Is it because you're right and it's not true? Or is it because you've ever had a friend that like sabotaged you constantly? You decide, you know, you're going to get in shape. You're going to start going to the gym. And every day you're going to go to the gym. Your friend's like, no, don't go to the gym today. You go tomorrow. Come on with me. Let's go watch a movie. New Marvel's out. Let's go do that. Right? 
ever had a friend that just sabotaged something you were trying to do constantly? Yeah, you got one of those. There's somebody like that who claims to be your friend and who will sabotage you constantly if you are trying to grow. If you are even interested in hearing about what Jesus has said, there is a malevolent being that's going to snatch that away as soon as he can. You ought to think about that if you're not a follower of Christ. Like, wow, try it, right? Try and focus on it. Try and think about it. Try and sit down and read Scripture. See if 8,000 other things pop into your mind. Be interesting to know, wouldn't it? If there's somebody out there that really doesn't want you to be interested in this, that's the first reason we don't grow. Jesus says, you have an enemy who doesn't want you to grow. Second reason, he says, is because bad things happen. Because trials and tests, the, the world is messed up. We, I don't think I need to like spend a lot of time explaining that to anyone, right? The world is messed up. Things go terribly, horribly wrong. Yeah, Jesus knows that too. But he says, but if you've got no root, if, if, you're, if you're not solid, if you're not implanted, if you haven't grown some roots, wow, first breath is going to knock you over. You know, it's like these pine trees, right, that have no roots. Wow, they look really impressive, and then a big wind comes along, and because i got nothing holding them in the ground. Jesus says, look, bad things are going to happen. They happen to everybody. Struggles, trials, temptations, testing, they're coming for all of us. You cannot get through life without having bad things happen to you. Jesus says, if you don't have roots, if you don't have something solid in your life, then you're just going to get blown over. We don't grow because we have an enemy. We don't grow because bad things happen. How about this one, number three? We don't grow because good things happen. Because our worries and our riches and our pleasures. And he's already talked about bad things, trials, temptations. I don't think these worries are like, oh, you know, I'm not going to eat tomorrow. These are all the good things I think we worry about. Our, our kids, our houses, our cars, our careers, our jobs. All of the good things in our life. Listen to what he says when he tells the parable in verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. They grew up with it. That's so true, isn't it? Your worries, your concerns, your wealth, your pleasures, they all grow up as you grow up. When, when I was 30, I left America and went overseas with Wycliffe Bible Translators sold everything I had. I mean, almost literally. I think we had two little trunks, you know, plastic shipping, uh, not shipping trunks, well, uh, Tupperware trunk things that were in my parents' attic. And other than that, we sold everything. But everything fit into a 14-foot U-Haul. Everything I owned, uh, entirely, all of my possessions, all of my wife's possessions, everything we owned easily fit into a 14-foot U-Haul. And then we had one car, and we sold all that. Wow, my life doesn't fit in a 14-foot U-Haul anymore after living in America for 10 years. Like, if I had to sell everything I own now, that could take months. When we were missionaries, every couple of years, you got to move. So you got two 50-pound suitcases. If you don't fit in two 50-pound suitcases, you don't take it. My life does not fit in two 50-pound suitcases anymore. The older you get, the more you get along in life, the more your responsibilities grow, the more your worries grow, the more your wealth grows, the more your pleasures grow, the more opportunities you have 
These are all good things, but Jesus says they choke us out. Literally, the word, the word means to suffocate. With water, it means to drown. The good things in our life drown our spiritual lives because they keep growing. We have more and more and more, and they choke us out. Jesus says, the bad things, yep, they pull us away from God, and the good things can pull us away from God. The good soil. What does it mean to be good soil? The soil that grows. They hear the word. They retain the word. Literally, they, they, they hang on to it, and they persevere. And brothers and sisters, that's you. That's what you need to do. You need to hear. You need to hang on. You need to persevere. God has promised never to leave you or forsake you. He has promised to bring all this together. He has promised that he is sovereignly working for good in all these things. We don't see it yet. I mean, I love, I think it's the author of Hebrews who says, you know, everything's going to be put under Jesus' feet. But wow, we do not see everything under his feet now, do we? But God is going to do all that one day. But your job right now is to hear, to hang on, and to persevere. So how do you do that? Right? So let, let, let me give you two little practical pieces of advice. Right? And, and it, whatever the Lord says to you, you know, we'll pray at the end, whatever the Spirit says to you, like, okay, this is how you need to, to hear, to, to hang on, and to persevere. Amen, do it. L let me give you two things out of my life. Okay? The first one, wow, you know where this is going, right? Scripture. Scripture. How, how do you combat the devil? Scripture. Right? How do you have roots? How do you be grounded in Christ? Scripture, Jesus says, anyone who listens to my word and puts it in practice is a man who built his house on the rock. So when the storm comes, it's not going anywhere. Who hears my words? How do you hear Jesus' words? Mine's a red letter Bible. You can even see them. This, this. Now, all of this is Jesus' words, not just the parts he spoke when he walked around. Scripture, read Scripture. That is the best thing you can ever do for your spiritual life, okay? That is not just Jeff making something up. Paul, the Apostle Paul, tells Timothy when Timothy is pastor of the church in Ephesus back in the 50s AD, says, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Part of Timothy's job as a pastor was to read the Bible to people. Okay? You notice we always read the passage. If it's long, you got to sit there for a while. Like, we publicly read the Scriptures before I talk about them, always. I think scripture tells us to do that. The scriptures are the best possible thing that you can do. It, it, again, they do surveys and studies and all those kinds of things. Nothing even comes close to reading the Bible regularly. The scriptures are alive. They're the word of God. They're the seed. If you want the seed to grow in you, wow, read it. Put it in your heart and your mind. On that back table, right down the middle, there are three different Bible reading plans, okay? If you don't have a way that you are regularly putting Scripture into your mind, then just go take one. The one all the way to the right is this one. It's called the F260. It's 260 because you read five days a week, Monday through Friday. So if you miss a couple, you can catch up on the weekend, right? You won't read the whole Bible, but you'll read the whole story of the Bible. You know, let's face it, some of those genealogies get kind of long. And some of those prophets are rather repetitive. 
So you're not going to read all of Ezekiel. You're just going to read a few chapters so you understand what he's talking about. You're not going to read. Isaiah prophesies against the Ammonites like seven times. You'll just read one of them. You'll get the idea. You won't read the whole Bible, but you'll read the whole story of the Bible. And wow, after that, there's a couple others where you will read the whole Bible in a year. But you got to read three chapters every day if you want to read all the scriptures. If you don't have a way that you are regularly putting scriptures into your heart and mind, then grab one of those and start. And if you don't like those, gosh, you know, you can find thousands. There are thousands on the internet. There are thousands. There are apps to do all this kind of stuff. The number one way for you to grow, for you to avoid the devil who doesn't want you to grow, for you to have roots so when trials come, you're not blown over, so you are not choked out by all the good things in your life. The number one way is scripture. Get scripture into your heart and your mind. And I'll give you number two. I'll give you a second S word here, alliteration. Number two is simplicity. The the choked out by our wealth, that's a worry for us. A lot of places in the world, you know, and again, he's speaking to subsistence level farmers, right? Folks, we are so far above subsistence level farmers. (laughs) I don't think anybody in this room is worried whether they're going to eat tomorrow. I don't think anybody in this room is worried whether they're going to eat next week. So sociologists do do surveys, they do studies, right? If you ask somebody in the West, you say, look, I'll buy you lunch today, but if you wait until next week, I'll buy you lunch all week, Almost everybody in the West takes the week of lunches, right? Because of course, take seven free lunches instead of one free lunch. Because you're gonna eat for the next week. You're not worried about that. You will absolutely eat until somebody, I mean, it's gravy that somebody buys you lunch, right? You ask that same question in a place where people live on a couple dollars a day and almost all of them take lunch today because they don't know if they're going to be around next week. They don't know what's going to happen between now and then. They they don't know. They don't know. They, They don't have enough money saved to buy lunch all week. Everyone in this room is incredibly wealthy. We have so much. And brothers and sisters, it is choking many of you out because your money is your servant. But for you, money is your master. And money makes a terrible master. If you are making decisions on the basis of money telling you what to do and what not to do, you've got that relationship reversed. Money is a great servant. It goes where you tell it to go. It does what you tell it to do. But when it starts telling you, you get choked out. Where in your life could you simplify? Where could you be a little more generous? Right? Where you've got all this wealth, where could you give some of it away? Okay, now please hear me. I am not telling you drop your wallets in the offering box on the way out. Okay? Tim would say that. I am not saying that. Right? I, I, I'm not saying you got to give it to the church. I'm not saying you got to give it to some Christian man. I don't know. That's between you and God. But the answer in, the, in Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, down through the ages, we have practiced disciplines like fasting, where we take perfectly good things that we have every right to, like food, and we say no once in a while, just to keep the practice up. 
Yesterday morning, I was making breakfast. Christine and I were in Florida. My parents getting ready to drive back. My mom had bought us cinnamon rolls, and so I'd made the two cinnamon rolls. I'd heated them up the way you're supposed to. Gave them, she each and I had a cinnamon roll. Wow, they were really good. I said to my daughter, oh, you want another one? And she said, do I want another one? Yes. Should I have another one? No. That's a lot of wisdom from a 16-year-old. Maybe there's things in your life that you want. They're good. They're not, again, these are good things. Riches, wealth, your, your, your house, your car, your family, they're all good things. Maybe there's some places where you ought to say, mm, I don't think so. Not today. I think maybe I'll give that away instead. I, I think maybe I'll say no to that. Maybe I will be in control of these things. I won't let them control me. Where in your world could you simplify Where could you say to wealth and pleasure and all of these concerns, yeah, I'm the master and you're the servant. So you'll do what I say, not the other way around. And again, I don't know, look, I just got back from a two-week vacation, one week of which spent at Disney, okay? I'm not telling you all to go be aestheticists, whatever. I'm not saying aesthetics for aesthetics' sake. I'm not saying go off and give everything away. You know, Jesus said to one guy, sell all you have and give to the poor. I'm not saying that. I'm saying somewhere. Where in your life should you be a little, a little more simple, a little more generous? Maybe not say yes to something that you could, you could say yes to, but maybe it would be better. Yeah, definitely, I want another cinnamon roll, but, but maybe not. Maybe I'll just say no this time. So I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask God to speak to you. Your growth, you've got to participate in it. You are responsible. You're not responsible for the soil, excuse me, for the the seed growing in you, but you're responsible for what kind of soil you are. And what kind of soil you are, that's how the seed's going to grow. So I'm going to pray for you and see if God's Spirit says anything to you, like you should be reading the Bible. God's Spirit is, okay, let me just say you, God's Spirit's saying that to you, okay? You don't have to ask him. I've told you. He's saying that. You should be reading the Bible. But if he's saying anything else, see what he says. There's some places in your life where you need to make some changes to prepare yourself so that the word grows up in you, so that you become like what Jesus says, people who hear, who hang on, who persevere. And so then you produce a life of fruit. So let's pray. Ah, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your kindness. You know, uh, thank you that, yeah, we don't have to make the seed grow. It will grow. Your word will do its work in us. We we just have to hang on to it. We we just have to be ready for you to be at work in us. We have to prepare ourselves. Uh, Jesus, help us. You you know. You you know these things. Like the we we don't like the bad things and we, we love the good things too much. We're not prepared for the bad. And we're easily blown over. And we love the good. And, it, and it, it drowns us. All those good things, they drown out our spirits. They drown out our connection to you. Lord, be gracious to us. I pray for my brothers and my sisters. As we continue over these next couple of weeks to, to talk about what it means to follow you, the fine print, the details. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would speak to us. How can we be good soil? We, we want to be good soil. We want to be people who hear and hang on and persevere. But you know that's hard for us. 
Again, you know how much we, we hate the bad things and we love the good things. Help us, Jesus, by your spirit. Be at work in us. Help us to be people who, who, who have fruit, who have lives that you're proud of, who, who produce something that will survive the fire. When you burn away all the dross of this world and nothing but the good remains, oh, Lord, we want to be people that have done much good, that all of that remains when you return. Be gracious to us, Lord. Help us. Speak to us. As we take communion now, as we remember what you have done, Holy Spirit, speak to us. As we worship after that again, speak to us. How can we be good soil so your word grows richly in us? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Always. We pray everything in your name. Amen. Now, let's remind ourselves, as Jesus told us to, uh, the only reason we can do any of this is because of what he's done for us. Uh, the only reason his word grows in us is because of what he's done. So there are stations in all four corners. There's the, the bread and the cup. I'm going to pray for us again. As soon as I'm done, get up, move to whichever station you like. There's gluten-free down here just to my right if you need that. Get the bread, get the cup, bring it back to your seats. I'll lead us. We'll take it all together as a community. But as you're waiting in line, as you're sitting and waiting for everybody else, be open to God's spirit. Ask him. I mean, he wants you to grow. Ask him, is, is there anything he wants you to do? Any way, anything, he, some way he wants you to think differently, something that, that you would be better soil, that it, his, his spirit would be at work in you, that the seed, his word, would be growing in you and producing even more fruit. So pray with me again, and then we'll take communion together. Thank you, Lord. I mean, we say that every week, and we're going to say that every week. Thank you. The only reason we can gather, the only reason any of this matters is because of what you have done for us. And that, Lord, that was entirely on you. Our growth, we have to participate in that. It won't happen without us. You, you won't just make us grow on this earth. But you did just save us. We weren't part of that. You just did it. You traded places with us. And then you came back from the dead. We, we did nothing to inherit eternal life. It is just a gift from you. You have died and you have risen from the dead. Thank you. We are so grateful, Lord. And now we do exactly what you told us to do. We remind ourselves of these truths. We remember you. We remember what you have done. We remember how much you love us. That, that you have died for us. Scripture says that, that you thought it was a joy. That, that you saw the crucifixion and you saw the results. You saw that we would be with you and you considered that a joy. Thank you. We are so grateful, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen.